Welcome to the Teaching Tax Flow Podcast, where the goal is to empower and educate you to legally and ethically minimize taxes paid over your lifetime. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us back here on Teaching Tax Flow, the podcast, looking down the aisle of, should I say, listening to, looking down the aisle of works too. Um, looking down the aisle at episode 37. Today, we're going to talk about how to earn $500,000 tax-free. So no more details, no more hints. We're going to jump into the show here in a minute. Me and Chris are going to have a great discussion on this topic. Hopefully, your ears are perked just a little bit. But before we do that, let's take a moment. Thank our sponsor, as always. This podcast is sponsored by The Mortgage Shop. Are you looking to qualify for an investment credit loan without jumping through hoops? That's easy. They have loans with LTV up to 89.99%. Exploring their products and discovering how they can work for you is simple. Just visit mortgage.shop or call 865-325-2566 and tell them TTF sent you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Teaching Tax Flow, the podcast. If you can read at all, obviously you've seen the title of this show. It's Earn, or I should say Earning, up to $500,000 a year tax-free. Now that's, we're going to talk about earning it. We're not going to tell you how to earn it exactly. But before we do that, I'm John Trapalski. If you haven't heard my voice before, congratulations. Now you can, um, but even better than that, I have Chris, Chris Picuro with me again. How's it going, buddy? I am great. Always fun to be on the show. If they haven't heard your voice, John, that means they need to go back to episode one and start from scratch here at the Teaching Tax Flow podcast. And if you hadn't heard our voice, welcome to your first episode. Right. And if they haven't heard us at all, Chris, you know, I usually don't kick people off of our show, but if you haven't, press the press the stop button right now. Don't listen forward. Move on back to one. You got hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of content to listen to. But before we come up with any more corny jokes, drive each other insane, Chris, let's talk about this a little bit, right? We're not giving these, we're not giving anybody a roadmap to say, you know what, this is how you make 500 grand. Go pull couches off the side of the road, sell them on Craigslist, sell them on eBay. We're not going to, we're not going to tell you how to do it. We're basically going to tell people how to keep it. So give, give us a little bit of a preview on, on what we're looking here. We talk in teaching tax flow a lot about diagnosing and prescribing different tax strategies and legally and ethically reducing the tax you pay in your lifetime. There are some tax loopholes out there uh, that enable taxpayers to earn money tax-free. One of the three laws of teaching tax flow is that tax agencies are your involuntary business partner. Tax rules are written to encourage and discourage certain behavior. And one of the tax laws that were written, which we refer to as Section 121, uh, allows you to exclude up to $500,000 if you're married filing jointly of capital gain when you sell your primary residence. We're going to dive into some of those rules coming up here. But what's important to understand, first of all, is why do we have this rule? Well, we have this rule because, and spoiler alert, one of the qualifications is that it, uh, a, a property has to be your primary residence for two of the last five years to qualify. Okay? John, let me ask you a question. I know, I'm sure you got all A's in uh, social studies growing up in American history. Of course. What is, of course. What is the term 
for someone that is elected in the House of Representatives of the United States? You know what? You would ask me a question like that. It's like you looked into my brain and said, you know what, idiot? You really don't remember a whole lot from that class. So, uh, whatever. You answer it. You're smarter than me. I hang out with better looking, smarter people. Well, I don't know about that. Um, I, I would say your family has, but it's two years, right? Okay. So, so a congressperson could win, win their congressional district. They can go to DC. They can buy, or Virginia or wherever. They could buy a property. They could live in it for two years. They could lose their uh, election the next time coming up and they could sell their property. And guess what? They could walk away with, if they're married, joint $500,000 of profit or unmarried $250,000 of profit. So it's kind of a nice going away gift for someone at the House of Representatives. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people that do that uh, in their own personal lives. So section 121 of our tax code, again, allows taxpayers, and we're going to talk about eligibility, to sell their primary residence now they do not have to buy another residence. Previously, back in John, when I first started practicing, when I had a hairdo over twenty years ago, you used to have to buy another residence for up to that value. You don't have to do that. You can. You don't have to. You can go rent a place. You can go live on a dinghy for all in, in Key West. For I mean, all. back when back when you started, I mean, that was a while ago. Where uh, was Coke sold in glass bottles and there was <laughs> cigarette pull machines at the uh, at the bars? Was that no, but uh, Moby Dick was a minnow. It's that long. Oh, there we go. Okay, you you made you you know you op- you always open up the can of worms as or I should say the the head of hair jokes. So we we you know, obviously move forward. We need one ball joke at least, and don't worry, we'll loop pickleball into the start of that podcast yeah, just to get under your skin. Hey, you know what? Just just like your just like your your process, you know, with tax forms. I mean, you're you're pretty aerodynamic. You're pretty streamlined. So I am. We are efficient. <laughs> uh, so. What we talk about is in the teaching tax flow world in our community, goal diagnosis. So if you're in a 30% marginal tax rate, $400,000 of taxable income would cost you $120,000 of tax. But if it's tax-free, goal diagnosis, like the Section 121 exclusion is, it would cost you nothing. Now, when we talk on this podcast, we're going to focus on the tax part of this decision. A lot of components come in Uh, to play when you're deciding to sell a property, buy another property, move, downsize, et cetera, et cetera. But so we're going to just keep this down to, you know, what what are the eligibility issues? Where can we find this information on the IRS uh, websites? And we're going to link all that to our show notes and some other considerations. And as we jump into these two, Chris, before we start giving some you know little deeper dive explanations, uh, a moment ago too, you mentioned loophole, right? So if anybody is not familiar with with that term, it's not. Let's not, um, I should say, correlate or associate loophole with sketchiness, right? So taking advantage of these loopholes is not an unethical practice. It's not you know kind of skirting the rules. It's there. It's there with intent. It's actually. If I'm not mistaken, they're all outlined really in a sense by the IRS is just the fact of actually following through with it, correct? Yes. And I would say there are a lot of interested parties in this Section 121 exclusion. Not only the Congress people, but also, or how people in the House of Representatives, the Mortgage Banker Association, the Association of Realtors, 
Uh, the, so there, think about whenever there's a house bought or sold, there are several people that are compensated and there's money put into local economies. So it's not that this is just a zero sum game. You know, every transaction you have an, you would have an inspector, you would have an appraiser if you have a mortgage. There are a lot of pluses within a local economy whenever one of these transactions is, is, takes place. So that's Excellent. that's kind of uh, some some kind of you know if you throw a rock into the water you see all those little ripples. There's a lot of ripple effect of of having this tax law, and it allows people, quite frankly, to to take whatever proceeds they have from the house they sold and move that into another property if they so choose. But again, you don't have to buy another property to take advantage of Section 121 exclusion. So for for those listening, obviously don't pull this up on your in your vehicle uh, if you're driving. But what you really we're going to really focus on are the contents of Publication 523 uh, put out by the IRS. Now again, this is this is not uh, Nobel Peace Prize winning uh, literature here. But I want to talk about some eligibility. You know, you would you would probably use it as bathroom reading, right? I mean, you, I'm sure you print off, flip through it, right? You might be the only one, but. Somebody. Oh, well, you know, maybe. I, I <laughs> that, the, that's the most. That's the most subtle. Yeah, okay. I got a couple of copies I've ever heard. You know, now we fiddle around on our phones. I don't know what we do, but anyway. So eligibility tests. So ultimately, there are there are a handful of eligibility tests to determine if you if you sold your property, would you be able, would your primary residence be able to walk away with tax free? income. All right. We get this question a lot on the teaching tax flow podcast as well. So the first eligibility is you could, there is an automatic disqualification if you acquired this property through a 1031 exchange or like kind exchange. We talk about that a lot in, in our defeating taxes, uh, face private Facebook community, defeating taxes.com, definitely bookmark it or, uh, in, in prior podcasts. Also, if you're subject to an expatriate tax, you are automatically disqualified. What that means is that's someone that is that has left the country. Uh, you know, again, we don't want to dive in the weeds too much, but someone that is that has just decided to take residency uh, and citizenship elsewhere. Second step, you actually have to own the property, right? Just because it's your primary residence doesn't mean that. It, you automatically meet that two out of five, last five year requirement. So John, let's say you rented a property for several years, you bought it after renting it, and then you only owned it for one year, yet you lived there for three. You have to that have ownership in the property for at least 24 months out of the last five years leading up to the date of sale. Now it doesn't have to be 24 months straight. It just has to be 24 months in that window. And this, a lot of times when you have snowbirds or you have people in living in two different places, this could really play a role. Um, so that's the, that's the second step. The third eligibility is really step is residence. You know, you've got to determine if you met the residence requirement. Are you there once in a while? Many people have second properties, a beach house. Um, how do you prove residency? Again, it's a facts and circumstances situation, but do you have your voter's registration card there? Do you have your driver's license? Are your vehicles registered there? You know, nowadays, one of the tests would be, well, do you bank somewhere? Well, many of these banks are in several states. Um, but, you know, if you owned the home and used it 
as your residence for at least 24 months of the pre previous five years, you're meeting that residence requirement. But that that 24 month period, like I said, it could it could vary. It could vary. It doesn't have to be continuous. And um, you know there are some special there's some special rules. Again, we're not going to dive into too many too many of the special rules. But some considerations would be if you if you're away from the home for a, for a long period of time, um, like a vacation or a short absence, really isn't going to play a big role. But what if you leave for six months and, and run around in an RV. I mean, that's that's a consideration. Um, another consideration is what happens, you know, what, what happens if you become physically or mentally unable to take care of yourself and you have to leave the home or go to the hospital. So again, those are, those always play a role in that residency eligibility uh, test. You know, the fourth one, so you do get a certain amount of, you, you know, we love Monopoly on the Teaching Tax Law podcast. So you get a certain amount of get out of jail free cards. As you said, John, this, is, this doesn't imply that you're going to go to jail if you use this. But um, you don't get an unlimited amount of Section 121 exclusions. Because in theory, you could have two homes that you both lived in two of the last five years and sell them in the same year. So there's a look back eligibility um, and you have to meet the look back requirement. So if you didn't sell another home during the two-year period before the date of your sale, you meet the look-back requirement. So basically, you've got that two-year window that if you have multiple properties, this would only play a role as if you had multiple properties and you lived in both of them for two years, which, John, I know you live up in Michigan. There are a lot of people in Michigan that spend five months down south and seven months in Michigan. Those are what we call smart people. Get out of here when it's cold. <laughs> Exactly. And, and and that's so so that's where you could again, you could realistically have two houses that you meet the eligibility requirement for. Um the fifth eligibility step is do you meet one of the exceptions? So let's say you fail one of the first four. If you fail one of the first four, you you might meet what's called one of the exceptions. And that's where it's really a facts and circumstances situation. Um, we always talk about in teaching tax flow, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Um, but you also want to know the tax ramifications of your decisions. So, you know, did a separation or divorce occur when you're in the home? Did a spouse pass away? Um, was your home destroyed or condemned? I mean, we've had situations where a home was burnt down, but the taxpayer wasn't there for the full two years or... There was uh, uh, an eminent domain case where uh, a bridge was being built and the home was per basically taken by uh, the government because of eminent domain. So there's a lot of, you know, especially if you were a service member, there are some special rules. So there are some exceptions to the that eligibility test to be considered that maybe you might meet one of those. The most common would be the separated or divorced taxpayers or unfortunately, a widowed taxpayer. So, so basically, like a bo you get a bonus point. If yeah, if, if you fail, I guess it's a yeah, it's a retake, right? If you fail the one of the eligibility tests, yet you meet an exception, then you're you're back in business. Um, and then there's other there are there's other considerations of there's there's circumstances where you could be a, getting a partial uh, exception. <clears throat> Excuse me exclusion of capital gain. 
Those things occur sometimes if you rented out the property for a portion for a certain period of time, and then you lived in it for a certain period of time. So it's not a, it's not always a, hey, I get the ex entire exclusion or none. Sometimes it's partial. So a lot of these may, may apply to somebody who, say, takes a, a six-month out-of-state contract for employment, moves back, but obviously over that 24-month period of time, they've spent the majority of their time there at that primary. Right. What if they would have rented that primary out for a certain period of time? Exactly. And hopefully they don't come back and it's condemned, you know, hey, they have no made, and they got a divorce. And we, there's a lot of boxes you can get creative and check, but. We're seeing that a lot with interest rates. So sometimes taxpayers are locked into a very low interest rate with the property. They don't necessarily need the cash out of it to move. And they want to create some, uh, some, some cash flow for themselves. Now, again, they're, they're converting a primary residence to a rental is a serious consideration with some negative tax consequences to be considered. So definitely talk to us here at Teaching Tax Flow or your tax professional about that before you make that decision. We're not going to jump into the basis. You know, we're not going to jump into that in this podcast, but it's something to consider. Um, when we're talking about the partial exclusion, obviously, if you rented the property out versus utilized it on your own, uh, that could that could be a partial exclusion situation. If you had to move that and it was really work related, uh, that could give you a partial exclusion. So let's say you didn't live in the property for two years. It's a newer property, but there's a work related move. There's a health related move or some type of unforeseen circumstances we talked about, um, you know, it's funny as it sounds, if you lived in a home for a year and a half, let's say taxpayer becomes pregnant, it's a, it's a starter home, it's a two-bedroom property, and taxpayer has triplets. That actually could be an unforeseenable event, unforeseeable event that allows them to take a partial exclusion. That's an interesting one. But yeah, it is. I mean, so we've seen these things happen. One thing, though, when we talk about a gain, a cap, because when you sell your property, assuming you sold it for more than you paid for it, you have a capital gain. One thing to consider though, is that one of the concepts is tax flow versus cash flow. The money you receive at closing is not your gain, right? It's and, not your and, expl gain. and explain that in a little bit more detail for those that aren't familiar how everything is with that. Cause that's, yeah. a, that's a very important concept that you mentioned that we talk about a lot, right? Tax flow versus cash flow or cash flow versus tax flow. So let's chat on this. So let's talk, you walk through and I really rounded example of, let's say you bought a property for $600,000. Let's say you were fortunate enough to pay cash for it. And let's say you sell it four years later and you're married joint for a million dollars. And let's say you have closing costs of $50,000 and you put $50,000 into the property. Okay. So your gain is $300,000, a million dollars minus $50,000 of closing costs is nine fifty. Your basis for that property basis is your cost basis. What you paid for it is the $600,000 you paid for it. And you put $50,000 of improvements. You have a $300,000 gain. Assuming you meet all the exception, uh, all the eligibility requirements, you walk away 
with a $300,000 gain, but at the closing table, you don't have a mortgage, you sold it for a million, $50,000 of, of uh, closing costs, you actually walk away with $950,000. We've seen people come into the defeating taxes community, teaching tax flow community say, oh my gosh, I just got, I just sold my primary residence. I have $950,000 at closing. And that's over that $500,000. I'm going to owe a bunch of tax. No, it's it, that that's not the case. That what you get at closing really is more of a, a, a result of if you had a mortgage known on the property uh, and that sort of stuff. The other thing to consider is we talk about cost basis for these properties, these primary residences. It's not just what you paid for the property. A lot of times, especially with new construction, you might have landscaping costs. You might have built a fence. You might have some capitalized improvements, or even if you bought an existing residence and needed some work, all of that really plays a role into the basis. And we're okay. talking at a federal level. Final thing I want to talk about just from considerations, each state is different. Most states comply to the federal section 121 exclusion. But those are those are considerations, and that's why when people say, "Well, should I keep all my receipts?" Yeah, we don't need rug loads of receipts, but um, but at least keep a log with these major home improvements. It's funny that you mentioned saving receipts, right? I I feel like I just heard a story from somebody, might have been a friend of mine or, or something over one of the past holidays, and they said, "Oh, I kept all my receipts, you know, for for X number of years," and. I felt really confident and then they go to open it up and it was all thermal paper, I believe. So one had everything on it, they open it up and they're all blank. Oh like so 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 basically you got a bunch of a bunch of ribbon tape with nothing on it. It'll it's all black. Um but Chris kind of circling back, you know, just one more time a little bit to our title of this, right? So earning up to five hundred thousand dollars tax free. Again, we're not we're not telling people how to make five hundred K. We're telling you how to basically keep it. So the, that example of using, you know, defining what capital gains is obviously is very important and really defining on or, or breaking down, I should say, how you get to that, that total is very important. So if, you know, they make a rewind button for a purpose, um, go back and listen to that if you're still confused. Exactly. So think about this. Here, here, are, here are our action items. One. Understanding that the money you get at closing is not your capital gain and you need to figure out what your cost basis is. Your cost basis could also include a step up in cost basis, meaning if, if you're a widowed um, or if you if you inherited the property and lived in it, we don't want to go on a tangent about cost basis, but understanding that your, your, your capital gain is based on your sale price minus expenses and your cost basis. The section 121 exclusion, there are certain um, uh, eligibility requirements that most people meet if it's just their primary residence, if you've had mixed use or have a extenuating circumstance to that create, caused you to move, you might be eligible for a partial. How do you, who is eligible for that up to $500,000 uh, of, of maximum exclusion? Uh, if you're married jointly, or if you're widowed and you sell the home within two years of the death of your spouse and you haven't remarried since then and you didn't sell any other primary residence. Single or unmarried folks, they still get an exclusion, but it's up to $250,000. Finally, there is a chance if a property had some mixed use like rental, 
there's still a partial exclusion available. The key takeaway is understand that before you sell a primary residence, really talk to your tax professional and determine the tax consequences of that decision. And remember now with current law, you don't have to go and buy another property to complete the exclusion. Awesome. Well, that's that's a good good jump into the detail, Chris, as you had mentioned before too. There's a lot more detail in each section of that that we could dive into, but that's probably the best. In all the years I've known you, that's probably the best explanation that you've given even me just chatting with you about it on on how all this works too. So, and things change. Obviously, every year there there could be amendments, adjustments to tax law, but is this something that's kind of been in play for a while? Have you seen a lot of changes with this or just some small stuff here and there? The biggest change was quite a while ago is when when you didn't have to reinvest in, into another property. Um, obviously, you know, tax, we've got uh, elections coming up here and um, we, just, we just carefully watched, you know, who's running for what office. It would be, this would be a major change, a major change for this to shift. Uh, there's always talk about, um, let's put it this way, in my per- professional opinion, I don't see the exclusion changing, except for maybe capping it at a certain amount of, you know, someone over a certain amount of income can't take it. But remember the people at play. Tax laws are in to discourage certain behavior. You don't want to do something that's going to hurt your friends at the House of Representatives. You probably don't want to, you know, in general, politically, it's probably, it'd be tough to change this law because of the realtors, the mortgage folks, the bankers, all that, all the industries, big industries that are involved in this type of transaction. So the, the positive ripple effect. It's the big ripple effect. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, as always, if anybody has any questions related to this, which which you may, and, and we welcome those, feel free to shoot it over to us in that Defeating Taxes private Facebook group. As I always say, here's your invite. Can't say we didn't tell you or invite you. Um, so hop on into that as well as if you, if you prefer an email, directly to our team, always feel free to reach out at hello at teachingtaxflow.com. And Chris, I know we talked a lot about unfortunate or unforeseen events. You guys seen it coming. This is the end of the show. So I know it's very unfortunate, but we will see you next week. Hey everybody, John's still here from the Teaching Tax Flow team. Couldn't get rid of me that easy. Although... Would you really want to, right? You wouldn't want to get rid of us. We're here giving you tips. So all joking aside, what do you think about this past episode here that we did the past, what, 15, 20 minutes or so, talking about earning up to 500000 500K a year tax-free, right? So looking at it from the lens of, you know, your parents or your grandparents maybe have used to tell you, hey, a penny saved is a penny earned. So basically what we're telling you here is, how to make more money, technically. Not telling you how to earn it exactly, but we're telling you how to keep it. We're giving you tips on how you can keep that income that we know you work so, so hard for. So hopefully you took some notes, got some good ideas, got a good strategy in place, or at least the uh, tip of the iceberg when it comes to that strategy. So let us know what you thought. Drop us a line on our Facebook page, the Defeating Taxes private Facebook group. If you're not a member of that, this is your invite as always. Hop on there, let us know what you thought, shoot us an email, give us a call, shoot us a text. Any way to let us know what you thought about this episode, we want to hear it. Um, If I remember right, this was a topic that was suggested also by a member of that Facebook group too. So 
Great topics. Keep them coming. We have even, I want to say two or three really good ones. Again, I know I always say that, but I feel like we keep getting better and better with these shows, better content, better guests. Got some great ones coming up. If you like this one, almost a guarantee you're going to love the next ones that are in the pipeline. So again, thank you for myself. Thank you from the whole team here at Teaching Tax Flow. Have a great week. Keep on trucking. Bring us those ideas and we will see you soon. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.